Hello, welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am here with my illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. And we are also here with our extraordinary producer, Nathan Yoder. Uh, we, we, you know, when you have the producer, that's oh, what he can do. That's um, right. That's, there you go. There we go. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we exist to uh, respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. And we feel like today's question uh, is definitely one of those. So uh, we're brought to you by Browncroft Community Church out of Rochester, New York. We are here with Tony Newhoff, who's an author, podcaster, former lawyer, also former pharmacist, but uh, as a lawyer, she was a divorce lawyer. And the question that we're engaging today is, why are we so disillusioned for marriage? And I think if there was anybody that would know why we're disillusioned for marriage, it would be Tony. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Aaron, do you have any thoughts? No, I think it's going to be a, a great conversation. It's certainly certainly a, a topic that I think a number of people want to be want to be talking about. And so. Um, I'm really excited to hear insights from Tony. Again, really appreciate you being on this uh, podcast with us and um, sharing your insights, sharing your thoughts, and I'm, I'm excited for our conversation. Well, Tony- Hey, with... I am too. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> no, this is great. Well, Tony, without further ado, why don't you tell us a little bit of your story and how you've landed where you are today in helping marriages and relationships? Yeah, well, my husband Carrie and I have been married for 32 years. Um, we have two sons that are grown and out of the house. Uh, we met in law school and we hit the ground running in our relationship. We were married midway through law school. We had our first child. Oh, I was pregnant in my last semester, so um, had our first son 10 days after I wrote my final exam. And from wow. there, Carrie went to seminary and we ended up pastoring in a community north of Toronto, uh, where we still live. And over the years, we, um, we had very full lives when we started out in the church. And um, after our first son was born, a second one came along. And uh, so we ended up um, entering ministry wholeheartedly and uh, finding that we got into this negative downward cycle of conflict uh, that just we couldn't find a way through. We struggled deeply for about 10 years and uh, eventually Carrie ended up burning out. I ended up with a depression at the same time and we literally fought our way back to a relationship that now I can say we would never want to leave. Uh, we've, uh, by the grace of God, been able to, to find our way back to a close and deeply satisfying marriage, but none of that was a given. And when I entered divorce law practice, I ended up sitting across the table from people who, uh, and I remember a man in particular who looked at me when, as he was signing off his final paperwork, <clears throat> pardon me, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, if only I'd known then what I know now, I would have worked harder to save my marriage. Mm -hmm. And so put all of this together and I guess I'm just giving you the background as to why I feel this sense of urgency in having these conversations about marriage, about divorce, and about people being disillusioned with marriage. Hmm. 
you know, I, I, I'm so glad you brought Carrie and you up. I kind of, I kind of want to back up to you. I, I like that we were kind of, you know, free flowing a little bit, you know, from the marriage to pre-marriage, but so here's kind of, you know, as I've, um, you know, I actually have a copy of Before You Split, um, as I've been reading the book and as I've been thinking about this question, I've been, I've been trying to process this and I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, I think there in today's culture, people would hear your stories and hear your conflict and say, you know, well, Tony, if you and Carrie would have just finished law school and then got married or you were settled in your careers, you'd probably have less conflict. Um, because I, I think the assumption is, you know, when when everything is settled in my life, that's the time to get married. But, you know, I, I think it's the Center for Marriage out of the University of Virginia just came out with a study that said marriages of people that get married in their 20s that don't live together um, before they're married tend to have happier and longer marriages. So on one hand, you know, and again, we can cite that study later. I'm just I'm familiar with it because it just came out. But the the general rule of thumb now is, hey, get your career together, get your life together, then get married. Do you think your story would have been any different if you would have waited to get married? Or, you know, just because that seems to be the cultural value right now. I don't know, process with me. That's kind of where mm. I'm, I'm trying to kind of get to. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't believe that the passage of time really would have made a difference. Um, mm. And Carrie and I weren't in our young 20s when we were married. Um, we'd already done a first degree before we went to law school, and then that's where we met. So we were in our late 20s by the time we got married. Um, sorry, Carrie, yeah, we were, let's just leave it that way. <laughs> but I don't think the passage of time necessarily is... Uh, a factor that makes a difference. I think what does make a difference is uh, an orientation toward personal growth. Uh, I think there definitely are ways that you can prepare for a successful marriage, a, you know, a good intimate relationship um, by, <clears throat> pardon me, dealing with things that may have happened before your marriage. For example, you know, experiences of trauma in your past that you might be bringing into your marriage. So, so yes, if you compare somebody who gets married um, in their, let's say, mid-20s um, to somebody who gets married in their 30s and they've done the personal, the work of personal growth before they've reached 30, you know, then would that person be better positioned for marriage? Maybe they would be because they've done the personal work. But I think it's that personal growth work that makes the difference, not the passage of time. Mm. Well, let me let me push on that a little bit because, you know, the people that I talk to about marriage, like they do put the focus on time, um, you know, and, and a lot of people that I encounter, one person really wants to get married and the other person is is reluctant to. And, you know, and, and this is where, you know, I want to be kind of challenged. It's if you've been dating for like 10 years and you're not getting married, like I'm kind of sitting back there and I'm like, what don't you know that you're going to find out, you know, longer? And, you know, so I guess even what you're trying to say is, you know, we have to stop thinking about our season of life, even our accomplishments, but the discussion even 
of why we might be disillusioned with marriage is we've kind of put it as like a life goal and plan as opposed to really kind of dealing with the hard work of trauma, mental health, or just kind of our family systems. And that's kind of the conversation that you're you're even starting in this book for someone that hasn't gotten married is that we've been disillusioned with marriage because you know careers are important, but marriage is not a career. Where you live mm. and the house you buy is important, but it's not marriage. So I don't know, push back on that. Is that kind of what you're saying? Mm. I think we're on the same page as far as you know, waiting 10 years to be married doesn't really reflect what a marriage is intended to be. You know, mm -hmm. a marriage is intended to be a, a life partnership. And I, I think in the past, you know, part of that disillusionment with marriage might stem from maybe a more, I'm going to say legalistic or hard-hearted look at what marriage is. Uh, you know, we've heard marriage talked about as, um, you know, it's a covenant, it's a vow. And I believe that that's what it is. Um, that it's also, um, rigid in the sense that, you know, divorce is not an option. I'm sure, you know, we've, we've heard that said and, um, you know, I, I think that we lose sight of marriage as being a true partnership, you know, a partnership where both people are, you know, living, growing human beings. And the person that we sign up for uh, is is actually going to grow and evolve just as you know, I'm going to grow and evolve. You're going to grow and evolve. Um, mm. I don't think we always enter marriage anticipating that this is going to be a partnership where there's going to be all kinds of twists and turns and um, changes to negotiate. Um, and so in the context of that, and you know, when you're really aiming to have this, this close, intimate relationship that lasts and endures, then I... To me, it doesn't make sense that we would put it off because what what is the trigger point then? Uh, I'm, I certainly felt when Carrie and I were married that we didn't need to wait for financial stability. That was going to be some time in coming because Carrie knew he was going to seminary. Um, we also decided that children would always be a part of our lives. And so uh, we didn't really place a value on setting that time frame into the future. Um, now, if we had delayed getting married and we dated longer than we did, would that have been a benefit? I don't know, maybe it would have been for a period of time, uh, especially if I had and Carrie had decided we were gonna do some counseling before we got married. Mm. Sure, I could see some value in that, but I don't see a value in putting off the, 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 uh, the partnership if your intention is that you want to journey through life with this person. I mm. guess that's just my perspective. I, I uh, it's been, no, it's been really, I think you, uh, what you and Peter were just talking about is really interesting um, about um, timing on marriage or what, uh, whether it's actual timing or it's checking, do you need to check certain boxes before you, you get married? I guess I, I'd love to back up a little bit further um, is just, why do you think people, I mean, so we, there's, there's, we are the topic today is why are we so disillusioned with marriage? And I think that's a good question. There is disillusionment with marriage, but, um, 
but every but I think a lot of people want to get married. I mean, why why is that? Why do you let's I mean, I'm married and I'm I'm very thankful for that. So let me let me hedge my question with that. But but I I I think it's an interesting kind of foundational question. What, what do you think? Why do you think people are so drawn to being united to somebody else in the first place? Um, you know, wh why that hope before the disillusionment? Yeah, personally, I've I, I do believe that we're designed that way. You know, we're we're designed for a close, intimate relationship, and. Um, you know, researchers such as um, Dr. Sue Johnson would say that, um, you know, love in the form of, a, of human connection is an ancient wired in uh, survival code. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, the close connections and real attachments are actually part of our not only surviving, but thriving. And, and so, you know, I, I think it sets up a tension for many people because we've lived with or we've seen unhealthy examples of marriage and we've lived and we've seen terrible examples of what a divorce can look like and how hurtful it is and and maybe somebody who's listening has even gone through a divorce that's been terribly painful or they've been a child of parents who have been divorced and that was painful mm. and I understand why it makes people gun shy. Um, but I think a lot of that stems from legalistic or really unhealthy uh, examples of, of relationships. You know, marriage is in, when it works well, marriage is absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. But when it's unhealthy, it can be such a struggle. You know, you brought up a really interesting point. Um, you know, you bring up children of divorce. And, you know, I think about you have two, you know, kind of grown sons. I'm, I'm kind of curious how they're navigating this because I feel like as a millennial in Generation Z, we were kind of the first generation to, you know, and again, I don't know how the statistics are true. I know people throw out cliche, 50% of marriages got divorced, but it's almost as if divorce became normal. Um, and I remember as a kid, like the first couple that I knew that got divorced, it was, it was a huge shock. And then at some point it just wasn't. And so I feel like my generation along with younger generations are saying, we're reluctant to get married because we don't wanna make the mistakes our parents made. But, you know, just a little hot button issue, what that ends up kind of the logic is, well, if I meet someone who I'm very interested in, I'm going to decide to live with them. And I think that there's, you know, as Christians, you know, we believe that, you know, sex is saved for marriage. And but there's also statistics that kind of say otherwise. And I I guess, you know, I want to kind of give a ton of grace to our listeners. We're not trying to be legalistic. I guess what we're trying to kind of say is in this conversation, you know, it's affirming that you don't want to get divorced because you know the pain of that, but are you entering in the right way? And even is the logic kind of the right manner of thinking of, hey, let's not make this commitment because we're afraid we're going to get divorced, 
but what other problems are you kind of seeing with some of the modern day couples that maybe 20, 30 years down the road, they might say, hmm, this, this probably wasn't the best way to enter marriage. Hmm. I, I guess delaying the commitment makes me wonder whether that level of commitment is the same is the same and I, mm. I don't know I, I I can't answer that for people um, but I think there is something to um, deciding that this is going to be my partner for life mm. and and I'm gonna approach this relationship from that perspective um, for us for Carrie and I you know we looked at our marriage vows um, through eyes of faith so we had Ecclesiastes 412 as as the um, one of the scriptures that we based our our um, wedding ceremony on it, it says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken and so we entered marriage um, with our heartfelt belief that Jesus was the third strand, that Carrie and I were two strands of this rope. The cord was three strands and Jesus was the third strand. Um, both of us would say that when we were in that deep season of struggle, it really was our faith in Jesus that kept us from walking mm. out the door uh, when we were at the lowest of lows. Mm. Um, so in in terms of yeah, in terms of the the strength or depth of that commitment, uh, it has to be it has to be based on something, and so uh, I I don't want to suggest that I'm going to tell people what to believe, um, but I I do think that if you want to if you want to enter marriage with a commitment, um, you really need to think through what is that commitment based on. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's Andy Stanley that when he talks about marriage, he's like, I don't believe in the one, but if you marry that person, they're the one. Um, and I just always have thought that that's interesting because I guess in my perspective, um, you know, I said this on the phone to a friend and my wife heard me and I had to give her context. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't. That's always it. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in what's going to come next now. That's good. <laughs> I'd love to hear your thought. Like, I didn't feel that Robin was the one. I just felt committed to her. And that's kind of where the Andy Stanley thing, like, you know, I probably could have been married to other women. I'm not, you know, going to, but like, and had a happy life. But because God brought Robin into my life, I actually feel like releasing that pressure of, you're the one to make me happy. You're the one like there was just an mm. attitude shift of no, like I want to marry you. I'm choosing you. And and I feel like that's kind of shaped our marriage because even what you're hinting at and I'll let Aaron talk about his marriage. I always say the controversial stuff. You have the communications director so we can edit anything out. But, but I feel like that's helped me more in marriage of I'm not looking to Robin to fulfill and, you know, complete me, as they say in Jerry Maguire, but I've made mm -hmm. this choice to marry her, and that requires my investment to grow. I don't know. Before I get to Tony, I mean, Aaron, is that kind of your experience in marrying Kristen, or? I, I well, I mean, Kristen knows I would be, I'd be in big trouble if I didn't, if I wasn't married to her, so I'm very thankful <laughs> for her. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I would have loved to have seen how that conversation went with Robin, actually. It would have been fun to, <laughs> fun to see the facial expressions. But I get what you're saying, Peter. I think that's what you're, what you're saying. There's a, you know, there's, there's a lot there, and that's, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're bringing that up. It's, and there, actually, I, I would love to hear the, the response to it. Because it looks like you have some of this to say, so I'm, I'm going to stop talking and let our guests talk. <laughs> it's all good. I, I actually, I, I really appreciate what you've said, Peter, because I, I think it's attached to this whole mistake, I believe, of putting your spouse on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you believe that your spouse is the the one, especially the one who's going to complete complete me, the one who's going to make me happy, the one who's going to be my soulmate, it it puts a heavy burden on your spouse. Mm-hmm. I believe one that's heavier than it's intended to be. Um, because in, to, to my perspective, uh, you know, my life is, is ordered by my faith in God. Um, so God first, Carrie second, kids third, that would be my priorities. Um, if, if it was the other way around and if Carrie was number one in my life, if he was my overriding priority, um, sometimes that just gets to be distorting. Uh, I remember hearing a story about uh, a couple who got married and they ended up in a counselor's office because um, she was insisting that she would have her husband's undivided attention for the whole day on Saturday. And she had these expectations for, you know, very long, intimate time together. And then, you know, they would spend the whole, the whole entire Saturday together. And maybe that works for people. I mean, if that works for you, then fine. Like I'm not going to tell people how to live. Um, but it was a problem for, from his perspective, because he just didn't have that same expectation. And it became clear through the counseling process that she had him on a pedestal and, uh, and he had to jump through many hoops to satisfy all her desires. And, um, I think we're designed to be more communal than that, to have a community, you know, not your spouse isn't going to satisfy all of the, all of your needs and desires. I mean, for example, you know, you may be very interested in playing golf and you may have a buddy to play golf with instead of your wife or your, your husband may, your wife, sorry, may be, might have a burning interest in politics and it's really not your thing. And so she has a friend who she, who she can, you know, spend a few hours talking about politics with. Um, I, I don't think we're designed to to live up to this glorified version of marriage that um, that I think sometimes undermines the relationship that we could have if we didn't have expectations that were that heavy. Mm. Let me let me kind of come back to where I started with that question because I, I think for our listeners it'd be helpful. You know, when you think of your son's and when you think of your son's friends, how how do you think they're engaging the dating um, in even, and again, I'm not asking you to share personal, but just your just general thoughts. How are they engaging the dating or marriage conversation that's similar to you and Carrie versus maybe different than you and Carrie? Mm-hmm. I... I would see what you've seen that I think there's this tension. There's there's a tension between that innate desire that we have to 
to have that intimate relationship. And then there's also this hesitancy. Uh, it's almost like, let's just dip our toes in the water first. And then let's dip our toes in the water a little bit more. And, you know, let's not dive in, but we'll just very, very gradually um, enter this water that we could use as a metaphor for marriage. <laughs> just like we're very, very slowly walking into the lake. Um, I, I don't, I question whether that's really a solid foundation for a committed relationship. Mm. Why well, I'm 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 curious. Why do you think people? So let, uh, let's people do uh, slowly dip their toes in and they they move that direction. And um, I mean, maybe maybe even the the imagery is is presupposing that there's some sort of danger there instead of it being a a joyful like something more than you can imagine um, union. But let's even just say for you know. People were taking their time going that direction, um, or maybe taking too much time to Peter's point too, but why are people so quick to leave once they've made? I feel like that's, it, it feels like sometimes the decision to jump in is, is uh, or maybe it's not a jump in, it's a slow walk in, but then the, the decision to jump out in our current culture is, is really fast. I mean, what, why, why are people so willing to so quickly I know that the processes mm -hmm. take longer, and, and you, you talked about that earlier in, our, in the early part of our conversation, but maybe the, mm -hmm. the heart attitude of it changes too fast. What, what, what's your thought on that? I observed that. I, I had some clients who seemed to be making a hasty exit, and I guess from my perspective, I, I've, I think it's impacted by um, people around you. Mm. Um, if your parents divorced when they faced a tough time, then it may seem to be a more plausible option. It just may be something that's more um, at the forefront of your mind when you're thinking about how do, how do we solve this relational mess. Um, it, I, I think it's also, impacted by this overall sort of contractual view of marriage mm. and divorce. Mm. You know, I, I think we probably all heard about the concept of a starter marriage or, you know, the starter marriage, the middle marriage and the final marriage. Uh, and, and, and so that really does go in line with, with more of a contractual view that um, this is a partnership that we're going to have for a period of time. And there's going to be, um, there's going to be some definition around it. And if we ever reach this point, well, then we're agreeing that it's going to dissolve. Or even if we don't agree, I can make that decision myself. Um, I, I think that that contractual view of marriage and divorce um, sets us up to really question whether it's a lifetime relationship to begin with. Hmm. It seems, I'm oh, sorry, Peter, but no, no, go ahead. it seems in addition to, in addition to contractual, it seems very consumeristic too. It's very, it's about, yeah. it's about me. It's about, you know, uh, what, what can this relationship uh, do for me, which is not, uh, it's not what marriage is about really. And, um, you know, I was even thinking that when you were bringing up the example of someone, uh, of the person uh, and the situation that you were talking about with um, 
the woman who who was putting her husband on a pedestal, and, or in some ways maybe she was putting herself on a pedestal by saying that her mm. husband had to meet X, Y, and Z needs of her, um, and uh, or whether she was saying that or it was something that was kind of ingrained in the background of her mind. You know, I, I don't know that's always uh, so in your faces as I need you to do X, Y, and Z, but it's something that it's an expectation that maybe we don't even know about. But all the all the same, it's very consumeristic. Um, you know, I don't think it's supposed to be that way. I mean, what do you what do you think? What what should how should people actually be? You know, thinking about marriage going in. What what do we have wrong that are is making us thinking of it like a contract or like a something we buy? Hmm. Yeah, that consumeristic view is totally in line with what can I get from mm. this? Or, uh, you know, am I, am I getting the love from my marriage that I want instead of thinking about it as, am I bringing love to the marriage mm. the, the way I'm intended to? Uh, I, I think we, we do just in, in, in our human nature, um, think about what we're getting out of a relationship um, first, I think. In our, in our human state, we think about that first as opposed to how am I showing up in my marriage? Mm. Uh, there's a, a plaque that um, one, of the fa- one of my family members had on their wall and it said, home is where you learn to love. And oh. when I saw it when I was in my early 20s, I thought, Oh, that's kind of an unromantic plaque, but whatever. <laughs> um, but the, the more I've gone through this journey of life, I go back to that and think there is so much truth in that. That I and I believe marriage falls into that category where mar- when we're married, it is a the front line of learning how to love learning how to show up in an intimate relationship, learning how to trust somebody, learning how to extend yourself, um, learning how to put somebody else's needs ahead of my own. There's just all this learning that we, um, that we have to do. And I think in our, in our prideful state, uh, that doesn't go very well, but in a more humble posture, one that's open to learning how to become the best version of yourself, uh, that is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do believe that marriage is the best opportunity um, to learn how to love, really. So, you know, I- I want to kind of give our listeners kind of practical tips, and I feel like this question is actually really good for people who aren't dating, to people that are dating, to people that are engaged, to people that are married, because I I think the theme of what you're saying in our conversation, but also in your book, um, you know, before you split is, um, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on the child or you know, in biblical terms, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. And and really, you know, my wife said this, and actually she's a mental health therapist, and you said this in the book, which is, you know, what's my contribution to this problem? So as you're thinking of all of those, you know, you talked about, you know, trauma and depression or mental health, but you know, to you, to the to the people that want to, you know, from dating all the way to been married for a long time, what are some of those red flags that you're saying, hey, when you do work on this, 
you're going to show up better to this potential relationship. You know, what are some concrete ways that someone can kind of begin to engage that process to say, I can't control the other person, but man, this is the work that I need to do in myself. Hmm. One, one of those things that comes to mind is just, are you creating an emotionally safe space for mm-hmm. your partner? Um, because depending on the environment you were raised in and the adults around you, you may not have had uh, stellar modeling in terms of emotional capacity or intelligence. And I think it's very common, certainly this was a stumbling block for Carrie and I, to either avoid, deny, invalidate your spouse's emotions or try to push back against them. So for example, Carrie might come home from a meeting completely frustrated and he's he says, oh, that was awful, it was terrible and tells me about it. And I say, well, what did you do? Did you talk to John? Are, are you gonna schedule a meeting? And notice what I've done there. I completely skipped over his high level of frustration and jumped right into problem solving. So I haven't actually created a a safe emotional space for him. His response is probably that he's gonna be more frustrated Mm -hmm. because it's as if I didn't even hear or respond to that emotion that he's really struggling with. And a far more successful way to show up for each other is to just be present with your spouse's emotions. Mm. Like, and it doesn't take much, just take a moment to, to go, wow, that, that must've been frustrating. Oh, I, I would have been frustrated if I was if I was in your shoes, if I was in that meeting, so that your spouse has the feeling that they're not alone in this world, Hmm. that there's somebody who gets them. And instinctively, sometimes I think we're afraid that if we, if we stop and even for a moment identify with our spouse's emotions, that they might, we might make it worse, that they might become more upset (laughs) I can't handle it. This is way too much emotion. But researchers are showing that it actually has the opposite effect. That if you create a safe space and you're just with your spouse for a moment in their emotions, you don't even have to agree with them. It's not like you're it's not like you're agreeing with everything that they're saying or even agreeing with why they're feeling that way. That's not the point. It's just that it bonds you more closely if you can just create that safe emotional space and validate each other's emotions. So that's one one thing to pay attention to. Um, that was sort of a long answer to your question, Peter. I don't know if you want me to keep going. Yeah. Why don't you do? You know, why don't you do one and two more? And you know, one thing I just want to interject in there that I think is powerful is to our friends that are single or dating. Like that's something that's universal. It's not just a couple of things. So you know, I'm even thinking about if you're at work, are you creating an emotional safe place? You know, in your, you know, in church, you know, if you volunteer at the church, are you creating an emotion? Like, this isn't just like marriage, but like this, like what you're saying there is, hey, like that person that drives you nuts the most, maybe in your HOA, like, can you create a safe place for them? And, and I think that that's powerful because what you're doing is you're giving indicators of, hey, this is how I'm going towards health. So maybe one or two more, because I I think this is super practical and super helpful for our listeners. 
Sure. I think it's common in, in marriage, particularly in the early years, to, to end up with a sort of competitive framework when you have different opinions. Mm. And so, you know, I've got my opinion and, and Carrie has his opinion and we're both trying to persuade the other person to come over to our side and <laughs> see it my way. And, yeah. and that kind of competitiveness doesn't go well usually because it can entrench you in those two opinions. Um, and I think we lose sight of the fact that usually when we've got a difference of opinion, there is more than there are more than two options available. Mm -hmm. We lose sight of the fact that it's probably not binary. Uh, we have more creativity than we give ourselves credit for. And um, wouldn't it be better if you searched for a solution that might not be either one of your ideal solutions, but it's something that you can arrive to and agree on together and just learn to elevate the value of that shared solution that you can both live with. I, I call that fighting for we instead of fighting for me. Mm. Mm. So well, that's just a, a little note about peacemaking. Um, then one, one more thing that that really can draw you closer is to keep your relationship fresh and build your intimacy by trying things that are new. Like don't let your date night fall into a rut where you're always doing the same thing over and over and over. I mean, that's fine. It's okay. Um, but there, there is research to show that if you try something that's new or exciting for both of you and you do this, they did in the study period, just an hour and a half a week, four weeks in a row. And they tested how people felt about their relationship before and after the study period. Um, the couples felt closer to each other and were more excited about their relationship when they had done something that was novel or exciting together. So, a couple of things about that. It needs to be something that you're both interested in, uh, or at least that you know, both of you are willing to give it a try. So nobody's being dragged into this. And, um, and, and it doesn't have to be anything expensive or adrenaline producing. Like I'm not talking about, you know, going out and bungee jumping. <laughs> it can be as simple as, you know, something that you don't normally, normally do a style of cooking that isn't usually on your menu or try a new, uh, try a new dance together or go and explore a different village, go to a museum you haven't seen, just something that is novel and interesting for both of you. Um, chances are when you make that a habit, it will grow you closer as a couple. Man, I feel like we go another hour. We're going to have to have you back on. Um, but, uh, you know, we want to you know, we want to be sensitive. This is probably a great place to, to kind of close with our last question. So the question that we always ask, and you've kind of hinted at it, is, um, you know, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? So the way we usually handle this um, is Aaron and I answer, and then we hope that the guest cleans up any messes um, that we have or any heresy. So are, are you up for that? <laughs> well, let's give it a shot. <laughs> Can't make any promises here, but I'll do my best. <laughs> well, we got we to gotta take responsibility, too, so it's all good. We'll, uh, we'll uh, start with Aaron. Aaron, why don't you go ahead? Sure. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, I think that Jesus has a lot to say. Uh, he cares a lot about marriage. Uh, God, God uh, created marriage. He wants us to be. Um, he created us to be people that are, are we're meant to be in community with each other, and in particular, we're, you know, we're built. I think uh, Tony mentioned this earlier. Of uh, we're designed. You use the word designed, which I, I really I liked that word. Um, you know, we're designed for for a relationship like this, and you know, that doesn't mean that everyone always ends up in 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 that uh, relationship. And I think that's something that's worth talking about also. And um, but uh, but it is something. It, there's a beauty to it. There's a beauty when it's treated right. There's a reason why um, you know the apostle Paul used it as a, as imagery. Uh, in in his uh, his epistles also too for the church and and Jesus and so I, I mean there's there's a beauty to marriage and God does care a lot about it um, and uh, it's not supposed to be like so many things uh, in our lives it's not supposed to be about us about about me I should say uh, you know the me for part of it's supposed to be about the us like you said the fighting for we versus the fighting for me it's not about the me mm. it's about bigger than that uh, and ultimately it's about um, a relationship with God too so. I think this has really been a great talk. I'm, I don't want to take everything from Peter here, but I just wanted to say I, I think it's important. It's an important conversation. Um, I, I have to imagine there's a lot of people who are um, who may not have been in, into not not married yet, who are thinking about it and uh, thinking about maybe they want to be there someday or maybe they don't. And what's the? I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions. So this is a a really good conversation. And um, thank you so much for. Um, for diving into it with us. Okay, Peter, sorry. I took a long time with that one. No, it's it's good. Um, so as I was preparing for this episode, I've I've been reading the book of the Bible in Genesis, and like the, one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is the Bible just has a ton of reality. And, you know, there's these relationships, marriage. I'm thinking about Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel, and actually there's multiple wives, and that's a whole nother topic. But... You know, the thing that I find interesting is the moments that God is not mentioned or a couple's not getting advice, like they fail. So real quick, I don't want to go super, but, you know, Abraham and Sarah get this promise to have a baby and Sarah says, hey, since you can't have a baby, why don't you, you know, why don't you sleep with Hagar, you know, the, the woman that's helping us and that today there's, you know, certain, but you could kind of tell that no one really had the conversation. No one really entered that moment. And like, you just read the rest of the Bible and you see the brokenness of it. And, you know, I bring that up because I think that the Bible and Jesus has a lot of truth. And what, what we're hearing is, is like, don't go at growth and your relationships alone you know, and, and as you read throughout the Bible, anytime that God's not mentioned or just even like people tend to kind of make mistakes. And I think even what we're saying with marriage and disillusionment is, you know, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think that you have all the right answers. And in some ways it's a pause for, you know, to experience the life change in Jesus, to experience what God has for you. Yes, it'd be great for you to get married. It'd be great to meet that other person, but there's so much more meaning in your life when you become the person that God's created you to be. And I think in all of our stories, including marriage, you know, when, when we're maybe dismissive of God or we're kind of 
leaning on ourselves, we can kind of see the same decisions that those biblical characters made. And I think I wonder if we're disillusioned about marriage because we've done that, not necessarily that God's far away. So that was just kind of what I was mm-hmm. reflecting on. But go ahead, Tony, you can mm-hmm. close us up. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, when when I think about what Jesus said, I, I think about his reference back to the book of Genesis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when he said, um, the two will become one flesh. Uh, that was the original design God had in mind. Um, you know, and if two, two people become one flesh, that imagery is pretty clear, you know, you're solid and united and together. Um, but then Jesus went on to have a conversation. I'm thinking about what he said in Matthew 19, um, when the disciples questioned him and he, and they said, well, why did Moses permit divorce then? And, Jesus recognizes that there's a that there's a tension that the original design is that the two will become one flesh and that there will be some people who can't accept it. He goes on to say that later on in Matthew. And so he's I think he's pushing back against a, a legalistic view, um, mm. but he's holding up the original intention. And the original intention is that you would be so united that you can't distinguish the two individuals, that they come together to be one, you know, one in spirit, um, one in emotions, and, you know, one in body as well. And so I think that imagery is beautiful compelling. Um, it's something to live up to. And certainly in my mind, um, I, I, I still see marriage as an institution worth all of our effort and, um, hard work and, and also something to be celebrated. I don't think we celebrate, um, a, a a great long-term marriage enough. Mm. And any marriage, any relationship that goes long term, that is authentic, is going to have its ups and downs. If if two people are not just living with a compliance mindset, but are actually, you know, really trying to wrestle their relationship in real terms and ha- allow for differences of opinion and allow for growth to head in different directions, but still be committed. I think that's just an incredibly beautiful thing. And certainly my marriage to Carrie has been a blessing um, despite the hard years, the terribly hard years that we went through. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Um, is the Now, I subscribe to her email every week. Um, it's been a great email. Um, and then I also encourage you all to, before you split, uh, to buy this book, whether you're single, dating, engaged, or married. But is there anywhere else uh, people can find you if they want to follow you? I do have a website, so tonynewhoff.com. Um, my last name has way too many vowels, so if you want to know how to spell it, just look up before you split <laughs> book, then you'll find it. And uh, also, we uh, I have a podcast with a friend of mine who's a pediatrician. It's called the Smart Family Podcast. So you can also find me there, smartfamilypodcast.com. 
Well, Tony, thanks so much for your generosity. Listeners, as always, the best way to get in touch with us is to go to whygodwhypodcast.com, click the subscribe button. You'll get this great episode, including other ones each week in your inbox. So thank you so much for joining us. Tony, thanks for being with us. Hey, that's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.